Uh, so anyway, I've really got a report. I mean, hello. Hello, welcome to Bathdale. <laughs> Never was there worse French. Ever. <laughs> um, but all I can say is that it's been maybe 35 seconds since we stopped. <laughs> of the podcast. And all Sales has done is just blow her nose honkingly. Just unstintingly, it's just been this. It's been a parade of mucus. And basically. now I've taken my shoes off as well. Oh, so great! Yeah, in an unventilated foot room. Odorous. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, yes. you know, in that part, <laughs> but, uh. oh my God, <laughs> sorry, it's just getting stupider, isn't it? Sorry, everybody. <laughs> At least the sounds are right. <laughs> Um, you know when you said about those chefs being happy that people save up as a special occasion and blah, 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 and they come to the restaurant? We. <laughs> Do you mean we? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking French with a Parisian accent, <laughs> you cloth-eared bint. <laughs> Stop it. Um, it reminded me that I went to the Dixie Chicks. Oh, God, do you know what? I would have put a hundred bucks on you saying it reminded me that I went to the spaghetti tree and got my usual. Oh, look, the night before the Dixie Chicks, because it, well, it was in Melbourne, actually, so my friend's taking me out to dinner. We're walking down Burke Street Mall. I think spaghetti tree. Spaghetti tree. We're going, I can see spaghetti tree in the distance, and then uh, uh, we've gone into... Somewhere posh. Yeah, somewhere posh, which, in fact, I, I said, is it called... Um, I said, oh, we're going to that place... Um, Lazy Hanks, and my friend said, no, no, it's Dirty Hanks. No, sorry, I said, is it D Dirty Hanks? And she, and she went, no, it's called Lazy Hanks. And then I said, when we got there, it's called Fancy Hanks. Oh. <laughs> Hanks really... You never get that with the spaghetti tree. Hanks really pulled himself together. Um, yeah, so it was like I could see spaghetti tree in the distance, and yeah, sadly, I did not get to go. Um, no, but Dixie Chicks, one of the most moving things about it was there was a lot of people there who looked like they would have really saved up yeah, to right. have that night out, um, and it was just quietly awesome. Yes. Natalie Maines, who you probably don't know anything about the Dixie Chicks, right? All I remember is them getting into trouble for not being very nice to a George Bush and that everybody was, um, you know. And then they doubled down and she, they brought out that song, I'm not ready to make nice. <laughs> I can sing the whole thing wow, if you want. Like. such a lead up <laughs> for you to be able to sing. Um, no, they're fantastic. And Natalie Maines, who's the lead singer, I believe could be the lead singer of any band in the world because she's so charismatic and energetic and awesome. Any band? Any AC band. ACDC? Yep. She's got a bit of a rock chick vibe going on. Everyone had a crack. Blondie. <laughs> in excess. Let her in. Um, no, anyway, it was a really, really awesome night out. But which reminded me that you and I also had a night out to see Mark Golden's Kidney. We did. Lovely segue. Yes. yes. It was, um, it was great, I thought. I really enjoyed the play. I enjoyed it too. Do you know what I really enjoyed? What? Because I you know, know Mark Colvin very, very well. I wanted to see John Howard play Mark Colvin yeah. to see, is he really going to be able to do the Colvin? And when he started, not just the voice but the body language, you and I both visibly sort of jumped in our it's seats. It's pretty good. It was yeah. Amazing. It felt everything about him, the body language, the way he was dressed. And I talked to Colvin before the show and said, does John Howard do like the full Colvin? Like, do you think he's sort of doing everything like you or is he just doing suggestions of you? And Colvin went, oh, no, 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 no. It's just a, it's just a few little things, a little bit like me. That is so funny. <laughs> it's just so exactly like him. Um, and so then I said to Colvin after the show, oh, my God, that was I felt like I was watching you. It was just so... Surreal. Got to be careful with that sort of thing. <laughs> it was just, 
And then Colvin, I said to Colvin, that must have been the strangest thing in the world to watch that. And Colvin said, yeah, it was pretty out there. Um, but imagine how much... He said John Howard had come up to the office a few times and observed him. But I can... The level of scrutiny that must have been going on by John Howard must have been extraordinary to pull that off like that. It was amazing. Can you imagine going about your work while an actor observes you for the purposes of um, playing you? <sighs> that would be very, very strange. I think that would be really hard to watch back because you'd be thinking, really? Can I really be that fabulous <laughs> and considered and calm all the time? How is it possible that my voice is always so well modulated and mellifluous? <laughs> Do you ever just look in the mirror and just think, I'm an idiot? <laughs> no. I look at it and go, oh, you rock. No, but it, that reminds me of one of my favourite scenes in um, 30 Rock where Liz Lemon, <laughs> Jack Donaghy, Alec Baldwin says to her, Lemon, what's if this is negativity from you? You've got to go do some positive self-talk and, you know, be nice to yourself and, you know, juice yourself up. And then it cuts to a shot of Liz Lemon in the mirror saying to herself, Pull yourself together, you stupid bitch. Come on. <laughs> sort of positive self-talk. God, I wish there was more of that series. No, oh, just so... I think I want to start watching it all again, actually. I think it would absolutely bear a, a re-watching. Would it fill the Veep-sized hole in your heart, do you think? Well, it'll do till Veep gets here, which is not that far away, right? No, that's true. Hey, um, can um, I... Yes. No, after you, Vanderbilt. No, no, I'm just going to regale you with some filth I've been reading. So you, oh, whatever you've got to get off I'd your like, chest. I'd, I'd like to hear about filth. Yeah, okay. So a little while back, I think, I don't know, you and I were having some exchange about some sort of political scandal or something. And a chat ten person very kindly got in touch on Twitter, I think, and sent a, a recommendation for a book called A Very English Scandal by oh, John Preston. Okay. And it's the story of Jeremy Thorpe, who was the first British MP to be <laughs> charged with murder. Right. Uh, less funny than it sounds. <laughs> um, and he was this um, Liberal Democrat MP, got himself into terrible trouble um, when back when homosexuality was illegal. Uh, he, gosh, got into all sorts of scrapes with various liquid-eyed young men um, of dubious orientation. And um, anyway, got himself into a terrible pickle, uh, which ended very sadly for a series of people. Um, I haven't finished the book yet, but I'm just... It's so... In, it's a proper old intrigue, and it's got sort of British members of Parliament who are called Alger, Algernon Cucumber Sandwich Smythe and so on. <laughs> and I'm just reading this passage at the moment that just made me bark out loud with laughter. Um, it is about the um, attempt in the 1960s to decriminalise homosexuality and it, it just go through the cast of characters who were involved in this attempt and the uh, MP in the lower house who was uh, driving this reform um, needed an ally in the House of Lords and eventually um, teamed up with uh, a guy, called, a very unlikely champion for decriminalisation of homosexuality. His name was, um, I've written it down here because it's so funny... His name was... Uh, he was the 8th Earl of Arran. His name was Sir Arthur Strange Catendike David Archibald Gore. <laughs> known wow. as Buffy to his friends. <laughs> and there's this great description of him, um, the funniest of which line is, uh, um, is talking about Buffy and his wife. At their home in Hemel Hempstead, they allowed badgers to have the run of the place and always wore gumboots indoors to stop their ankles from being bitten. 
so British. So, yeah, this book is just full of just generalised smart and badges. Unusual colour computer that you've got there. It's like a sort of rose gold or something. It is. Without wanting to do any product placement, <laughs> I bought myself a new um, laptop. It wow. is um, made by a company that is named for a piece of fruit. <laughs> I won't name them here. <laughs> there is a there is a different. There's a couple of different colours, and I've gone for the rose gold option. Wow. It's a very light laptop so I can carry it around in my enormous mum bag without feeling you see I actually use my own laptop I do not use an ABC computer because they make me want to weep the yeah, ABC mainframe ABC. computer yeah, wants makes me it just oh my god no, uh, my and it's one of those systems where you've got to change your password every month and it just comes around so regularly and I can never remember what my password was. But do you know what the end result of that is? It means you never look at your ABC email, which means people are always emailing me going, Lee, would you mind passing this on to Annabelle Crabb, please? Just not going to happen, people. <laughs> Nobody's looking at their, that email. Oh, God, it's brilliant. <laughs> no, it's very strong. The thrill of being genuinely it's unlocatable. Handsome, it's a very handsome laptop. It I is. I just feel how light it is because I've got one. I didn't go yeah, for It's going to be great radio while you do this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, ooh, that is yeah, really light. I know. Of, uh, this it's a small screen like it's not a very big laptop and it just goes into my handbag of this particular brand <clears throat> I chose not to get one of these mm. I in fact avoided the brand we're talking about and have a different um, brand <laughs> wow we could go on like why are we so hours? worried about this oh, product placement thing because it's not like this is an ABC podcast no too. but someone will get cross anyway well, true but um or someone will just give you a free pink computer. And we pimp the your... tree all the time. No That's one's true. That. Right, we're in the we're in the pocket of small carb. I wonder if like we could chart any sort of increase in patronage at Spaghetti Tree since they've started being a regular. No, let's really start around. hammering it. <laughs> um, I might even go there uh, one day. <laughs> oh, I just I never go there. Um, but one thing that I was going to say about carrying around a rose gold computer is that I do feel a bit like when I take it out on flights and stuff. I do feel a bit like. Do you feel like you need to check your privilege? I do. Yes, I do. That it is still there. So, <laughs> God. Um, but I do feel a tiny bit because I don't really see a lot of the a lot of others of these around. Right. I suspect that's just because they haven't caught on yet. Although obviously, obviously after this podcast, they'll be everywhere. Well, but I do feel a bit John Law's golden <laughs> microphone-ish. Like it's, there's a little bit of you know. I actually thought ugh. maybe that when I raised it, you were going to say to me, "Oh yes, I had it made specially." No, um, I thought you were going to say they made it specially for me. Yeah, no. <laughs> Not so much. Bought in a shop using normal Johnny person Johnny Ives money. rang and said, I'd really like to design on something just for you. Yeah. Hey, now, let me tell you, uh, I've only listened to one episode of this, but it really did quite blow yeah, my oh, mind. I, I know I constantly interrupt you, but all I wanted to say is, yes. reading this very English scandal thing oh, yeah. gives me exactly the same feeling as reading that book, The Politician, about John Edwards that we both, you oh, know, it's just grubby. like sort of filth, oh. but sort of so fascinating, oh, you know. Because wow, yeah. when I say filth, I don't mean, you know, um, uh, secretly Smart. gay MPs. I'm just, the, the sort of networks of protection in amongst uh. all of the MPs who are looking after each other and, you know, uh. there's a bit of, that sort of sense of right. protectionism, right. it just really reminds me of that, that fabulous book, The Politician, which is about John Edwards and his oh, yeah, just, just appalling behaviour on a, a million counts. And the book was written by, oh, I always forget Andrew his name, something, I think Andrew Young. Yes. yes. Um, anyway, so if you're in the mood for filth, uh, definitely look that one up as well. Now, two new things I'm into. Yeah. Often on this podcast too, I talk about things and then I never really 
I watch one or two episodes and I move on. So I think it sounds like I read or watch more stuff than I actually do. But, for example, Missing Richard Simmons that we talked about, I gave up on. Did you? Yeah. Huh. I found I ended up having a problem with it. I, I thought, wow. yeah. See, see, my friends Stam and Maddie Mads thought that too. They yeah. Did, they found it a bit too, like, why don't you just let this man disappear? Was that it? Yeah. And I think, in fact, I think we talked about it on the last podcast, or not, not part uh, the one before that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked about the fact that the friends were so awful that I felt like I could understand why Richard yeah. had basically dumped all of them. Anyway, so I dumped that one. So instead I've listened to episode one of S-Town, which is the new podcast from the people right. who made Serial. And so it's a oh, co-program okay. to Serial and This American Life. Um, and when it starts off, it starts off with just a bit of reporter VO for a couple of minutes. And mm -hmm. I thought, mm, it's not really catching me. Then this character gets introduced who is undoubtedly the best natural storyteller I've ever heard in my life. Oh, okay. Well, this podcast is over because I'm going to go immediately listen to that now. It, it was just, he's a southern guy. So he's a fictional character. Real he's... person. Real like, person. Huh. Um, southern guy, very poor community, but uh, can tell a story. It felt like I was listening to a character out of Tennessee Williams or something. He had all that southern idiom. But he just had that knack of people who are great storytellers of identifying what's the interesting thing in the story. Not everyone's got that knack, as I'm sure you well know. Um, God, do you think that they just found him in a subway or something? He Well, they set up the premise is that he has emailed someone at This American Life because he likes listening to This American mm. Life. And, he, and I'm not giving anything about here. He says, this kid got murdered down here and I think you guys should come and investigate it because this, this county is corrupt and I think there's been a cover-up and you guys should really come down. And so the reporter's sort of emailing him back and forth a bit for a year and then he finally rings the guy and they have a chat on the phone. And so he says to the guy, so what happened? And then the guy tells the story. And he's got one of those real southern accents yeah. um, and he just... It's, it reminded me immediately of Midnight in the Garden of Good and oh, Evil. Oh, wow. That's so weird because I just thought of that book when you were telling that story and I have no idea why. And there's something about his way of speaking. That was like the hit book of 1999 or something, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was a great years book. ago. Yeah. Um, I loved Set in it. Savannah. Loved it. Um, he... The way he speaks, even though he has no education, is like one of those characters, not not even necessarily from that book, like I'm talking more like classics of literature, like wow. Glass Menagerie. Um, I was I was thinking all the time of Steinbeck and William Faulkner and oh Tennessee Williams. It was mind blowing. Imagine finding this guy at the end of your phone. I was looking I, for I a was, story. I was on the bike at the gym and periodically I would audibly gasp. Something would count out of his mouth. Like, oh, it was just extraordinary. And again, oh, no, I don't really want to say so anything just, more I'm than that. I'm currently now just absolutely <laughs> transfixed with the idea of you cycling and gasping. I'll tell you what, in my experience, if I'm ever on a piece of gym equipment, I'm pretty much just gasping the whole way. I couldn't do an extra gasp to denote surprise or delight. I'd just be like, ah, ah, ah. Anybody watching me would have been like, what's she doing? Because I'd just be like, <gasps> Anyway, it was just Sorry. really... Uh, comedy. Yeah. It was really something else. Anyway, I tweeted that, that I'd listened to episode one. No one's given anything away, but they've just all been like, listen on, just listen really? on. And yeah. you're like, sorry, I've already stopped. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> episode two. Yeah, so that's, um, that's been fantastic. And then just one other new thing that I'm into, um, which now has turned into my thing that I read first every day, mm. is this thing called The Squiz. Oh, yes, I've seen that. Mm. Yeah, I'm loving it. So it's basically a news 
summary service or they curate the day's news for you. So some poor bugger gets up probably at 2am to start pulling it together. It tells you basically everything that's in the news that morning, but it's written in quite a witty, engaging way. And it takes you maybe one and a half minutes to read the whole email. And it points to what's coming up that day. And I just really like the tone of it. I really like the content of it. And now it's the first thing I look at even before I check because I used to check news on Twitter just to see what's wow. happening. Now I just go straight. And so you get an email. If you subscribe, you get an email in your inbox. Or you can go to their website or do whatever you like. But I get the email in my inbox. The thing I like about it um, is that it gives you a bit more detail. Like it picks a story. So it's like it's yeah. got elements of that um, thing that you get in newspapers that you don't get so much online where you you know a story is selected as you know the biggest story that's happening you know this morning. And it explains a bit about the background and why it's a big deal. Yeah. And then there's about another, like, half a dozen stories. And then, so it just strikes me as one of those things where, you know, if you've not got much time and you don't want to be embarrassed at the meeting you're going to or, like, whatever, like, you know kind of yeah. the shape of the day. Yeah. But there's not too much extraneous, oh, there's also this, and here's a funny bit. And yeah. This, and, you know, it's just sort of, it's okay what to put on with your underwear. Totally. It, it, exactly. <laughs> like, it sort of understands that the reason you want something like that is because you're time poor. Yeah. But you sort of like it. I think Chat 10 listeners would probably like it because I think there's something about the sensibility of it, don't you think? That's yeah, yeah, it's definitely um, written in a chatty way. Chatty and sort of a little bit funny and, um, yeah, just... Do you know, it, it totally puzzles me that in the um, huge range of media offerings that there are, which unconsciously actually exacerbate the problem that I'm about to outline. There's um, so much material that the great lack is for um, a curated you yeah. know, daily shop thing. Like, and, and it's weird, you know, years and years ago, um, I always remember Christine Wallace used to run a page called Breakfast Politics yeah. where she'd get up at the crack and um, just provide a list of every that. political story that was in the papers. And it was so useful mm. because not only did it um, – was it handy every given day because you wouldn't miss anything, and obviously this is a particular interest to people who are, you know, obsessed with politics or are political reporters – um, but also it became this incredible archive. Like yeah. you could go back and look and you could see all of the things that were happening on that day in politics, which is actually um, a, a real lack in the, con in the contemporary media environment. Sometimes you can, you can go back and look at stories, but you can't get, because there's so much going on and so much reportage, um, you can't get a sense of juxtaposing well, what what else was happening on the day that you know yeah. Malcolm Turnbull made that big speech about home ownership or blah 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 blah. And sometimes that stuff is really relevant because, yeah. as you know, like in contemporary politics, sometimes you know announcements are pulled forward to deal with something else you know terrible yeah. that's happening and are trying to take the um, you know um, spotlight away from X. Yeah. And that's all really relevant stuff to consider when yeah. you're assessing what is going on behind this announcement, why is it being made, is it a bit of a puff piece or is it a genuinely yeah. you know, developed policy proposition? You know, it's interesting, um, the idea of, because I increasingly, for that exact reason that there's so much material out there, do like something that I uh, that gives me a bit of a summary. If it's, if it's, and I mean, I guess this is part of the problem with the world today, I was going to say, if it's in a voice that I feel like, yeah, I relate to that, I understand yeah. that, which is probably part of the problem because then you're getting cocooned into stuff that tends to be, you know, just your, reflect your own yeah. sort of interests or views. Um, but 
you know, people talk about now, say, with the evening news bulletins, how um, everyone's seeing the news throughout the day because mm. they're on their computers all day or on your mobile phone, so you don't want to see a bulletin that gives you a summary of the day. Um, actually, I do. Yeah. But maybe I don't want to watch half an hour. Like, yeah. I might like five minutes. I might like the equivalent of the squiz, but in video yeah. form. Yeah. Because actually, during the day, I'm not watching a great deal of video of yeah. the news. I'm skimming written summaries yeah. of the news, but yeah. I'm not actually watching the news. And so some days, or if it's not a work day, I might not have looked at really anything all day. So yeah. actually a quick summary is, I find, useful. Yeah. So I don't like the assumption that everyone's always seen everything all the time and you've got to be you know, moving on constantly. Uh, the thing that I like about um, the tone of this squiz one as well is like it's clearly, like the target audience is definitely busy women, I reckon. Yeah. Like, but it's not written in a kind of like, oh, you're a, probably a lady, but here's something <laughs> yeah. about ovaries or something. Like it's yeah. not, it's not gendered in any way. Um, and I kind of, you know, so often that's not the case. But, but see, I would have said of this podcast that it's probably something for the ladies, but actually plenty of um, men. Yes listen to it and plenty of different ages as well so you know again I would have thought I think I'm sort of just thinking your universal appeal and your intense brooding good looks I think (laughs) um I would have thought it's basically people like us and it's not necessarily because quite a few young women come up to me and say they listen to it quite a few old men tell me to listen to it (laughs) that's the appeal of my okay (laughs) <laughs> this conversation is dwindling out. Uh, what else we got? What else have we, okay. What else are you um, doing? When watching? I was in Melbourne for Dixie Chicks. <laughs> wow, you. Like, no, no, I don't. I don't want to leave. Me. I just have right. to. I have to pick up my time. Tiring me. Oh, okay. It's quarter past three. Shouldn't you have got them fifteen minutes ago? Yes, ideally. No, no it's right. They've got okay, things. Okay, kids, on. don't worry. Mummy does love you. Um, when I was Thanks, in Melbourne Mark for Latham. the Dixie Chicks, I also. <laughs> like, speaking of which, your column entitled "There's Nothing Free About Mark Latham's Speech." I thoroughly recommend every listener to jump <laughs> nice. on and have a look at that. It was one of my favourites. And Lord knows he loved of it. Of your oeuvre. Um, <laughs> I went to, when I was in Melbourne, the National Gallery of Victoria to see an exhibition by a photographer called William Eggleston, who yeah. is an American photographer um, who prolifically documented suburban life in uh, Memphis, Tennessee, where he was from. Oh. It's sort of a bit like, it's it's mostly late 60s, 70s, and it just captures, my God, it's so evocative of that era in, in America in that, at that time. Um, it almost reminds me the composition, a little bit of like, you know, the artist Edward Hopper? Yes, did Nighthawks, yes. you know, with the, in the diner. Um, it's that type of stuff where the composition can be quite geometric and then yeah. the people are placed in the composition, if you know mm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. But it's not like they've been placed, they're just naturally there, yeah. but he's just identified this yeah yeah. um anyway that was if you like that sort of documentary photography that's really well worth a look i popped in to see bill henson as well who's there that that's not really my bag that type of art but if you're into that it's there oh god you've had a cultural weekend haven't you um i just absolutely recommend um a book i'm just going to briefly mention um due to (laughs) incipient child management issues um (laughs) Catherine Fox. It's okay, kids, mum's coming. Just hang on. <laughs> okay, everybody, they're fine. They're at sporting kids, just, engagements. If any strangers are trying to lure you into their car, just <laughs> she's coming, okay? Could, yeah, because they're listening to this podcast. <laughs> because they can't bear to watch me do anything. Audrey um, answers your text messages. She does, and she's actually um, 
very um, sometimes you can have an exchange with her yeah. and think it's me until something it's horrifying happens. Really disturbing. Like you use a swear word and she goes, Oh! Mark Manning Lee's swearing. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Catherine Fox, um, who uh, is a, just a great writer on women and oh, work, yeah. right, yeah. Um, used to write for the um, Financial Review, yeah. has written a new book called Stop Fixing Women, which is so good that it made me just want to like, stand and applaud at various um, junctures. Mm-hmm. So the thesis of the book is, why do we keep carrying on trying to, you know, jam women into workplaces and kind of say, well, you know, here's how to fix yourself up, lady, you know, here's how to behave, here's how to um, uh, fix these things about you, like lack of ambition or, you know, whatever. Um, And her thesis is that it's time to actually change workplaces to make them more friendly to women. I'm not doing it justice in this short summary because it's actually much less obvious than I'm making it sound. She has included, I mean, her hallmark, this woman, is of really great research and really clear and um, convincing um, uh, prosecution of an argument. She has rootled around and found heaps of examples of big and small companies that have made the conscious decision to stop, um, you know, treating the promotion of women as a sort of a thing that you've got to do mm-hmm. um, and started looking at the way that their um, systems and hierarchies work and finding the assumptions that they make that um, intrinsically disadvantage women. Right. So, like, looking at um, their the way they construct criteria for um, uh, jobs that they advertise or promotions right. that they bestow and seeing if those criteria intrinsically in some way discourage women. Right. It's just a really great um, piece of lateral thinking oh, about okay. how you can change things about the workplace that that end various assumptions that you've been making that have um, uh, unconsciously kind of discouraged women from progressing through the organisation. It's called There's Stop lots, Fixing Women. It's called Stop Fixing Women. Okay. And she's got, I mean, I'm particularly interested in this, so I, wrote, I read her account with um, uh, with great interest. She talks about some of the changes that um, Martin Parkinson, the former Treasury Secretary, made in the Department of the Treasury, oh, yeah. which is a very male-dominated kind of place. And he went through this process of, you know, um, um, unconscious bias training and became very exercised about all this and went and actually evaluated all of his um, senior executives, which must have been just hilariously... <laughs> complicated process, but also started in a, in a like beautifully treasury boffany sort of way, factoring in um, what he learned about these um, senior executive sort of recruitment patterns and um, assumptions and so on, started factoring that into his evaluation of their decisions. It's so interesting, wow. yeah, but really sort of data-based, oh, yeah, very interesting. And uh, it's just a great book. And if you are at all interested in this field, or I would say even if you're not, or if you work in a kind of male-dominated field, it's um, it's a really interesting read because it challenges a lot of assumptions, but it also provides some really, I think, quite inspirational examples of how change can be possible over even quite a short time mm. if you address you know some of these things. It's just a really, yeah, mm. 
good book for managers to read, I think. Excellent. Sounds very good. Mm. I um, I haven't read it yet, but there's a book that's just come out which I'm really looking forward to reading, which I thought I'd check if you have happened to have read yet. Is it the Ghana book? Yes, yeah. A Writing Life, Helen Garner and Her Work by Bernadette Brennan. Have you read it yet? No, I do, um, as of about 12 hours ago, have it in my shaking oh, hands. Awesome. So um, I am uh, just almost nervous about pitching into it because, you know, I hope that the writer will be, you know, as fabulous to Helen Garner as everybody <laughs> should be. Well, Garner's been doing some events with her, so she okay. must be happy with it. So, oh, okay. yeah, and I think uh, there was an extract of it that appeared, Brenda actually linked to it on our chat 10, that's how I, even, I found out about the book. Yeah. Um, and it was... It was really interesting. It was great. So I think she's had full access to all the diaries and different things. God, well, thank God, because doesn't she, you know, she's a bit of a she book burner, isn't she? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think she's threatening to burn. God, you um, and she, as bad the, as each other. I only had one other thing that I wanted to mention, which mm. was a book article that I particularly enjoyed, and it's given me something to um, aspire to. Sorry, not a book article, a newspaper article. Um, it was an article by Richard Glover. Oh, God, I know exactly <laughs> the one you're about to talk about. It was about his mother. Um who, after her death, somebody came up to Richard and said, I found this in a second-hand bookstore and thought you might want it. And it was a copy of one of Richard Glover's books that he had inscribed to his own mother. Oh, my God. That just makes <laughs> she me feel She had given Ill. it away. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't just that she'd given it away. It was stamped with the stamp of a book exchange. She had swapped it for a book that she would find more interesting than her <laughs> own son's book. And look... I've got to say, like, Glover has been on fire recently. He has. Like, I so agree. he wrote a great one a couple of weeks ago about one of the um, um, one of the real disadvantages of the increasingly cashless economy is that you lose the opportunity to serendipitously find a twenty buck note in your pants <laughs> or whatever. Too. Like, you know, those windfalls that you get. Like, you find ten bucks on the street, or yeah. there's something. You know. The thrill of finding 20 bucks in your jeans, pocket of the jeans that you took off and put back into the cupboard because you're a hound, um, <laughs> is just like 100 times the cover price of the note. It's just like you feel like that's free money or something. It's a, I, and those That article and the, the book one, because the book one sort of broadens into talking about, doesn't oh it, God. wayward books or people. Yeah. Um, and... There's there a great anecdote in there. Oh, there, was some, now. there yeah. were a few it's great anecdotes. Few it was really wonderfully pulled together, as was the money in the pockets one. And I was thinking about it later, thinking they should always be taught at journalism courses about how you take one simple idea and flesh it out into something amazing. Because that's hard to do. It is. Like, just the thought that, oh, you know, geez, I wish I could still find a 20 in the back of my pants. You wouldn't think you could pull a thousand words out of that. But he pulled a thousand great words out of that. It was, yeah. He's a, he's a very, like, he's a genius writer. And... I, you know, he also comes up with three hours of um, radio I, a day, which is just... I don't know just... how he does both those activities. Yeah, so either. either. Um, I really, incredible. yeah, those, that, both those cons are really good. And it just reminds me, like, there are... The, the, the thing that he pulls off in the column about the book and his mum is something that is actually a real skill of his too, which is to be hysterically funny about something that's really tragic. And yeah. his relationship with his mum, which... I mean, he, he talked about that book. That yeah, before. Flesh Wounds, yeah. Um, which is, uh, you know, his, I think, most re recent book. Has he written it that is. one since then? No. It it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, we've encouraged, I think, um, listeners to, to read it before, but it, it really is this incredibly bleak story, but told with such riotous um, 
good humour and wit that it's um, it's a hard thing to pull off, I think, yeah. to, to talk about tragedy. And he's really good at it. I can only imagine when you're doing a weekly column like that. I mean, you do it. There must be just this constant gnawing anxiety all the time, even just after you've filed one column, like, oh, God, what am I going to write about next week? It's Well, yeah, and you, you also just hate everything that you write. So, like, you finish it and you just feel like stabbing yourself in the face. <laughs> um, I once rem- I remember when Chrissy Swan stopped doing her weekly column because she was having another baby. She's like, oh, God, I just can't do it. I, I don't really know her, but I always quite liked her column. So I wrote her a note just saying, oh, I'm really sorry that, you know, you won't be writing that column anymore because I always enjoyed reading it. And she wrote me back this reply that I always remembered that it said, oh, you know, I just, you know, had enough because, you know, on a good week it's sort of miserable. On a bad week it's like bad hate sex. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, my God. Yep, I totally get that. you know. It's fine when you've got an idea and you can see the way it falls together in your head. Like, you know, it can, like those are blissful days. You sort of pump out 800 words and you're just happy with it, file it and away you walk. But on the days when you haven't got an idea or if you've only got half an idea or the worst thing, if you've got two equally shitty ideas, that's the worst thing. (laughs) Because, like, you write one, you start writing one and you're like, oh... No, no, this isn't working. I'll go to the other one and uh, then you get a, an hour into that and just go, nah, this also sucks. Uh, and then you've just got, you've wasted all this time and you hate yourself. And It makes me even anxious, like when, usually <laughs> on a morning when you don't have an idea or you have a half-form idea, you'll ring me and you'll go, yeah, I'm just waiting on the column. I just, I don't know, I've got this sort of idea and then you'll start sort of talking and then and I feel like I start panicking thinking oh god and then I'm like what about this what about could you try that could you try this what about yeah it's exactly then we hang up the phone then I feel like ill and then I read the paper on Sunday and it's awesome thanks for your support though (laughs) right I really have to go otherwise the police will be called but but (laughs) what about the toi see you next time (laughs) toi